Hey, Summit Midtown, this is Brandon Shields here. Welcome to the teaching portion of our first ever live stream Sunday gathering. Let me begin by saying how much I love you, I miss you, and I miss gathering physically on Sundays together at our building. I miss the little things that used to be annoyances, like having to shut the doors because there's too much noise flowing into the service from the gallery. I miss the opportunity to lift up our voices and fill the room with singing. I miss talking and praying with you. Even just putting on this headset for this sermon was just a nice security and sense of familiarity. And, and I really long to be back together again, but I'm so glad that we have the chance to gather spiritually this morning, despite our physical distance. With that being said, I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to Psalm 88. In Indiana, we're now in the second week of the stay-at-home order issued by Governor Holcomb. It's bizarre, I think, for all of us driving and around and walking around in our community and seeing almost everything shut down. Businesses, fitness centers, parks, and even schools. Life for my family, at least, has taken on a more hyper-localized flavor as we spend the majority of our time cloistered inside of our home, and occasionally we get out to walk our block or make a grocery run. And it's been interesting talking to people in our community about how they're coping with these new social distancing measures. In an op-ed piece in the New York Times a few days ago, Samantha Edmonds called 2020 the year of the introvert. And I know for some of you introverts, this has been like a paradise being trapped at home. You've been training for this your entire lives. You now have a hall pass to avoid intrusive social interaction, large public gatherings, and now you have time to create space for the quiet, for reflection, and for your feelings that often lie dormant in a society that frankly is built in the West, at least, on extroversion. For some of us, and I think like this extroverted author that wrote this op-ed piece, the new social order doesn't feel like a paradise. It actually feels like the opposite, like a prison. Some of us mourn being able to physically gather with friends Or even at this point, I think I would settle for a complete group of strangers. Uh, For my family this season, it's been very disorienting. Emily and I were talking last night about things, and it seems like every system that we as a family and, and personally have built for physical health, for spiritual health, and for emotional health have been tested, or even in some cases, completely obliterated. I think regardless of your personality type, the reality is that all of us are learning in different ways, both the vulnerabilities as well as the opportunities of this time of intensified aloneness or learning to be alone. Even if you live with a roommate or spouse or kids, we all have to confront and manage the deep sense of loneliness that this season is foisting upon us. We have to acknowledge, I think especially as Americans, we are not good at being alone. It brings to mind the famous quote by the Christian philosopher Blaise Pascal, who said, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. Many of us are good at quiet. Some of us are good at other things, but not sitting quietly in a room alone. While there's a lot that we don't know about the future of the pandemic, the one thing that we do know for sure about extended times of being alone is that it can lead to a chronic loneliness that poses a significant threat to our mental and spiritual health. Think of this as another kind of curve, one that already existed prior to the coronavirus, but that will be intensified and amplified in the weeks and months to come. 
Loneliness is an epidemic, and its effects on the human body are more dangerous, mental health professionals tell us, than even smoking or obesity. As a community, seeking to practice the way of Jesus together for the life of the world, it is going to be critical for us to learn how to be alone together. Seems like an oxymoron, but it is the calling of followers of Jesus. We must learn to deal with being alone, but we do that together. How do we discover a new solidarity in our loneliness that leads to life and wholeness rather than decay and disintegration? One of the things I love about the Bible is that it doesn't shy away from these hard emotional spaces. The Bible constantly invites us to face reality as it actually is, not to pretend or posture or escape or numb ourselves from the struggle. In times of loneliness, one of the passages I know for me that I find myself coming to again and again is Psalm chapter 88. So I'm going to read this, and I want to invite you to listen to what the author has to say about his own experience with a different kind of social distancing. Hear these words. Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out before you day and night. May my prayer reach your presence. Listen to my cry. For I have had enough troubles, and my life is near Sheol. I am counted among those going down to the pit. I am like a man without strength, abandoned among the dead. I am like the slain lying in the grave, whom you no longer remember and who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest part of the pit, in the darkest places, in the depths. Your wrath weighs heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all of your waves. Selah. You have distanced my friends from me. You have made me repulsive to them. I am shut in and cannot go out. My eyes are worn out from crying. Lord, I cry out to you all day long. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do departed spirits rise up to praise you? Selah. Will your faithful love be declared in the grave, your faithfulness in Abaddon? Will your wonders be known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of oblivion? But I call to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer meets you. Lord, why do you reject me? Why do you hide your face from me? From my youth, I have been suffering and near death. I suffer your horrors. I am desperate. Your wrath sweeps over me. Your terrors destroy me. They surround me like water all day long. They close in on me from every side. You have distanced loved one and neighbor from me. Darkness is my only friend. This is the reading of the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this passage is a really interesting psalm. One scholar, Walter Brueggemann, categorizes this. He, he calls this an embarrassment. He, but he, he categorizes the Psalms and the context of the Psalm, if you know the book of Psalms, is he breaks these out into a couple of different categories for us to consider. Three basic categories for the Psalms. The first is, are what he calls Psalms of Orientation. Psalms of Orientation articulate joy and goodness for well-being that's found in the normal order of God's providential care and his sovereign ordering of our world. Then he talks about this holder category called Psalms of Disorientation, and those are laments, cries to God in the midst of unexpected suffering 
And it's an articulation of, of hard emotions, rage, hurt, alienation, and self-pity. Then finally, there's what he calls psalms of reorientation. The new gifts of God on the other side of disorientation that lead to a deep joy that breaks through the sorrow and the pain and provokes surprising praise. This is what Brueggemann would call a psalm of disorientation, a lament. And the author of this psalm, interestingly enough, is identified in the opening line here, the description underneath, uh, as a man named Haman the Ezraite. And Haman was one of the pioneers of what was called the Korahite Guild. It was a group of singers that were appointed by David to be worship leaders in the church. And so think about this. This is penned by a worship leader in the church and the people of Israel. And what he's talking about here is his very real experience as a human being of loneliness. And so I want us to consider here and look at loneliness, and I want us to think about both the vulnerability of loneliness and then also the invitation in our loneliness. And I want to start with the vulnerability presented to us by loneliness. The vulnerability that we see and we've experienced in our lives, we see here in this text, is that loneliness can lead us to a place of isolation. This idea that he's communicating here is one of, if you kind of chop off the front and the back side of the psalm, is one of just utter isolation. He's in a place of being cut off, totally alone, and feeling abandoned to the forces of chaos and evil and oppression in the world. W.H. Auden, who was a British poet, uh, wrote a poem actually called Loneliness a while ago, and he said this, that loneliness is this gate-crashing ghost, an aggressive and invisible visitor. And if you've ever experienced the deep yearnings and aches of loneliness, you know exactly what Auden's speaking about. And, and Haman here goes in exquisite and excruciating detail to outline kind of the contours of his isolation. Notice the different domains. This is a whole person sense of being isolated, feeling cut off. And he talks about the different dimensions of his personhood, his physical struggles, his emotional struggles, his relational struggles, his spiritual struggles. Look at this physically. He talks about being drained of strength. He, he talks about uncontrollable sobbing and likely depression. We see also emotional struggles here. He talks about feeling abandoned. He describes being overwhelmed and troubled in his spirit. He speaks about relational challenges, right? He says, I'm repulsive to my friends. I mean, notice verse eight, I am shut in and I can't go outside. That should sound familiar to all of us in the midst of a stay-at-home order. He talks about feeling, literally the language here in verse 10, uh, 18 in my translation is feeling distanced from his loved ones and friends. And all of this cascades and kind of leads to spiritual struggle, right? When we, when we feel isolated, when we get into that place, it's easy for our imaginations to start to run wild. And he begins to question God's love and God's goodness towards him, which is a very natural thing for us to do when we don't feel God's presence, when we, when we feel the reality of his absence. We begin to say, does God really love me? Is this his judgment on me? Notice he's, he's imagining that, that this is God's wrath that's weighing down on him. He's not for sure, but he's giving expression to that. He begins to actually, if you notice later on in the passage, reinterpret his entire past. From my youth, it's just been nothing but suffering. We often in places of isolation, begin to reinterpret our life narrative. And we say, you know what? As I look back on my life, all I can see is darkness. All I can see is suffering. And he sees his entire past as a living spiritual hell. 
Notice that the isolation here, using a metaphor, is compared to darkness. It's compared to this thick, the language here is almost claustrophobic, like this darkness is surrounding me, it's closing in on me from every side. He compares it to a pit in verse 4, to a graveyard in verse 5. He says, this is the darkest place I've ever been in verse 6. He talks about the darkness in verse 12, the land of oblivion, verse 12. And then he closes this passage by saying, darkness is my only friend. The darkness of isolation is a dark night of the soul, where everything that we look to to give us hope and meaning all of a sudden has been warped and obliterated. Pope Francis gave an address recently from Rome, and he was describing this kind of night, this, this, this evening, this darkness that's fallen over our world right now. And he says this, for weeks now, it has been evening. Thick darkness has gathered over our squares, our streets, and our cities. It has taken over our lives, filling everything with a deafening silence and a distressing void that stops everything as it passes by. We feel it in the air. We notice in people's gestures. Their glances give them away. We find ourselves afraid and lost. As the pandemic and social distancing measures continue to escalate week by week, it's felt, at least for me, like, like this gathering storm, like a kind of darkness or a nightfall that is set into our collective existence. Think about how it's warped our sense of time. We used to plan our time. And and when I mean planning our time is we could look to the future and we could plan different things. And and it's a way that we kind of find security, find meaning, we find stability, right? We control our anxiety. And so uh, think about the sports calendar or work trips or social outings with friends, vacations, finals, board exams, spring break, weddings, funerals. I mean, these are all things that are designed to give us a sense of location in the midst of chaos and, and, and kind of the lack of control that we really have in life. Time is one of those things that we can fill up our calendar and give ourselves the illusion that we're okay. Now, in the time of the pandemic, our sense of time has been flattened completely. We don't know if this pandemic is going to last six weeks or 18 months. And what it does is it robs us of a sense of anticipation, right? Which robs us of a desire. I mean, joy and celebration are really about, I mean, like 90% anticipation and longing for these different things. And now all of a sudden, we don't know what to look for. And and time has been kind of turned upside down. In the Proverbs, uh, Solomon says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And many of us are experiencing heart sickness. We are grieving. We are despairing. We feel empty and powerless and hopeless, and we're experiencing so much, I mean, just wave after wave, as the author says, of loss and limitations and uncertainty about the future. I want to encourage you to be aware of the temptation during this time that will befall all of us to self-isolate, right? As this continues to drag out weeks and possibly even into months, we're going to find ourselves tempted, vulnerable, to isolation. Old addictions and attachments will all of a sudden come roaring back into our lives. Lies from the enemy will get our thought lives and our imaginations twisted. We'll become impatient. You'll start to find yourself numbing that pain or avoiding the pain or trying to manipulate your life, your soul, or other people around you. You'll find yourself struggling with depression maybe again or for the first time in your life. 
Maybe for some of you, it'll just lead you to a place of busyness where you fill up your calendar and attempt to avoid the pain. For others, it may manifest as just a sense of detachment and withdrawal. You find yourself wanting to spend more time in your pajamas, in your room, under the covers where the darkness doesn't seem to live. I want to encourage you to be honest about those feelings. Invite others into those spaces of isolation to give you feedback. Like, how are you experiencing me? Am I, am I being present in my relationships? How do you see me in terms of uh, isolation versus connectedness? Invite others in to pray with you. Invite others in to listen to your story and to contend with you to fight against isolation. Are you encouraged yet? Why, why is this passage even here? I mean, the end on this note, you have distanced loved one and neighbor from me. Darkness is my only friend. That's pretty cynical. It's, it ends on a pretty dour note of seeming despair. While it may seem as if the psalm ends in hopelessness, if we look closer, I think we actually see clues that God is still at work in the nightfall and in the darkness. One author, Nikolai Berdyaev, who is a Russian Christian intellectual, um, in speaking about the possibilities of nighttime in the scripture and looking at kind of the late modern West and imagining a future where the late modern West eventually goes bankrupt, like the, the secular project fails, he imagines what it might look like to see through that nighttime and to see another horizon. And he says this about the night. Night is not less wonderful than day. It is equally the work of God. It is lit by the splendor of the stars and it reveals to us things that the day does not know. Night is closer than day to the mystery of all beginning. And so if we can avoid and, and, and pray and contend against the temptation and the vulnerability to isolate, we can begin to see the invitation of loneliness. Loneliness is not inherently bad. As a matter of fact, it is inherently human to experience loneliness. The question is, what do we do with that loneliness? How do we receive it as a gift. Notice verses 1 and 2 and verses 13 and 14. Ezra, uh, excuse me, Haman cries out to God, Lord God of my salvation, I cry out before you day and night. May my prayer reach your presence. Listen to my cry. It says in verse 13, I call to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer meets you. I mean, there, there's a context here for the loneliness. He's not completely isolated. He realizes he's not ultimately alone. He cries out to God for his power and his presence. Haman won't stop, can't stop pursuing communion with God. What other choice does he have as one whose entire reality is framed by, as an Israelite, as a worship leader, his entire reality will be framed by a covenant relationship with a God who has proven himself faithful in the dark times of Israel's history over and over again and over again. While the darkness of night is frightening, what we know about every night season, regardless of how long that it seems to last, is that there's always a dawn on the other side of night. It's always a preparation for the dawn of a new morning, a new normal. Something is wrong, and it needs to change. But first, it needs to change inside of Haman. There was a tweet that came out recently, I'll post the image here, in Hong Kong in a subway where in kind of protest to some of the things that were happening there politically, but also related to the coronavirus, said this, we can't return to normal because the normal that we had was precisely the problem. What a powerful image to think about this moment that we're in. 
The normal of a pre-pandemic Western world was one of hyper-individualism, greed, consumerism, isolation, selfishness. Though we have been progressing since the Enlightenment, maybe technologically and materially, it could also be argued we've been regressing emotionally and spiritually and relationally. This has been as true for the church as for secular society. As one writer puts it, faith in the postmodern West has become a chaplain of self-realization. And it's why we've felt a pervasive sense of loneliness, anxiety, and despair, despite being more connected in a global economy than ever before. I believe this moment is an invitation for a new normal. Absence for Haman becomes an opportunity for deeper presence with God. He's honest about the temptation during this season of loneliness towards isolation and despair, but he also sees in there an invitation in his loneliness to solitude and communion with God. See, there's a huge difference between isolation and a loneliness that leads us to solitude. Isolation and solitude are not the same thing. Isolation means I'm cut off. I'm utterly alone. There's no one here to rescue me. The idea of solitude in the history of Christian thought in the scriptures is, is, yes, I'm alone, but I'm actually not alone. I'm alone with God in the context of a worshiping community. I'm alone with God in the context of a worshiping community. Solitude acknowledges the loneliness, but it's a loneliness with a person. It's a loneliness with a purpose. It's a loneliness with a direction. For millennia, teachers of the way of Jesus have talked about the critical space that solitude plays in redirecting our loneliness toward creative and redemptive purposes. Henri Nouwen wrote this uh, in his great book, uh, The Way of the Heart. Solitude is the furnace of transformation. Without solitude, we remain victims of our society and we continue to be entangled in the illusions of the false self. John Veneer, who was the founder of Large Communities for the Disabled, wrote this, Loneliness is, in fact, essential to our humanity. Loneliness can become a source of creative energy, the energy that drives us down new paths to create new things or to seek more truth and justice in the world. Loneliness is the fundamental force that urges mystics to a deeper union with God. One of my favorites here, Thomas Merton for the win, I actually had a a chance on my sabbatical a few months ago to go down to the monastery at Gethsemane where Thomas Merton lived and to read his journals and to spend time uh, watching how he would have lived his life. And he was one who certainly knew a lot about solitude. He yearned for it, and he wrote on it. He wrote a great book called Thoughts in Solitude. And here's what he says. Society depends for its existence on the inviolable personal solitude of its members. Society, to merit its name, must be made up not of numbers or mechanical units, but of persons. To be a person implies responsibility and freedom. And both these imply a certain interior solitude, a sense of personal integrity, a sense of one's own reality and one's ability to give himself to society. When men are merely submerged in a mass of impersonal human beings, pushed around by automatic forces, they lose their true humanity, their integrity, their ability to love, their capacity for self-determination. Solitude can be a pathway to directing and redirecting our loneliness towards God and towards others. 
Jesus himself faced loneliness. In his humanity, he faced extreme and extended periods of loneliness throughout his ministry. Jesus would often voluntarily withdraw to what the gospel writers called lonely places to commune with his heavenly father. He spent a substantial amount of time in the desert or the wilderness battling the evil one, the devil. And additionally, He experienced betrayal when his disciples abandoned him during his time of greatest suffering in the Garden of Gethsemane and ultimately at the cross. And what we see on the cross is Jesus experiencing the final loneliness. Jesus was cut off from his father and he cries out, quoting Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This existential loneliness that we all fear, God turns his back on Jesus and he hands him over to the cross to do the work of redemption. And he does that so that we could be brought into loving communion with the Father. Because Jesus was cut off for us, loneliness does not have to lead us to physical or emotional or relational or spiritual isolation and death, but can lead us to cry out to God and to others for authentic communion and community. We know this intellectually before times of crisis, but man, in times of crisis, in times like this, the Spirit applies these truths to our hearts in a deeper way. And we now know in the core of our being exactly what Paul means when he writes in Romans 8 that the Spirit of God cries out, Abba, Father, with deep groanings in the midst of our loneliness. He uses words that we can't even put expression to. And he closes the chapter by saying, there is nothing that can separate you, separate us from the love of God found in Christ Jesus. I want to encourage you as we close out our time here that physical and social distancing doesn't have to mean complete isolation. That's actually dangerous for our health and for our wholeness as human beings created in the image of a God who says it's not good for human beings to be alone. Let me encourage you this week to take that loneliness that I know all of us are feeling as we are trying to love our neighbors well, that ache, that throbbing desire that we have for connection and communion. And like Haman, let it lead us to an encounter with God. One of the practices that I've been working on in this time of isolation, in this time of being alone together, not isolation, but learning to be alone together, is the practice of contemplative prayer. And this practice is really simple. It's, it's a little bit different than just reading scripture and meditating on scripture. It starts out, at least for me, with a little bit of space to open myself up to God, to the Spirit, um, using a breath prayer. A breath prayer is just paying attention to your breathing. As you breathe in and as you breathe out, you take a word or a phrase, maybe from the Scripture. You say, come, Lord Jesus, or you say something like, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner, or just simply say, Jesus, or come, Holy Spirit. And you breathe that in and you breathe that out and you pay attention to your body and you ask God to fill you, to remind you, as Jesus says, that I will not leave you as orphans. I am with you. And then we take some space after that. I take some space to simply pray, to lament to God, to say, God, I'm afraid. God, I'm feeling lonely. God, I'm angry about this. I'm raging about this. Or I'm sad about this. Or I'm grieving this. Or I want this. And then ultimately, we just surrender those things to the Lord and we open up our hands, literally opening up your hands in prayer on your knees or sitting on your bed or your couch or out for a walk. We just open up our hands and we say, Lord, I surrender my soul, my life to you. I know 
that I am ultimately not alone because Jesus has been cut off, because he has risen from the dead. He has promised to give me the Spirit and to never leave me or forsake me or abandon me. And you're going to find that in those spaces, things get weird. You get monkey mind. You get distracted, right? That's normal, so expect that. That's part of the deal. But I do want to encourage you to take some time this week and lean into these kinds of practices because they help us in times of loneliness redirect ourselves towards communion with God and community with others. Let me just offer up a prayer for us as we close our time. Father, I thank you that you have promised you will never leave us nor forsake us. I pray that in the midst of this darkness, this long night of suffering that we're experiencing, that you would draw near to us, that you would remind us like Haman to cry out to you, to plead with you for your power in your presence. I thank you that you promise us that you have overcome the world, that you will not leave us alone. You will not abandon us. You will not cut us off from your presence. And I pray that that would be just a ballast, would be stability for us this week as we battle with loneliness. God, would you allow that loneliness to lead us into a deeper experience of your presence together. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.